0: Hi friends and welcome to Annie's pink chair where we invite presence inspire purpose and ignite passion into the hearts to spread God's love throughout the world oh my goodness everyone you really need to listen and watch because I have a guest in the studio today that I've known for many years and some of you remember that I am working in the anti-trafficking field and we have several homes for women that are getting out of sex trafficking called destiny house and dream house. My special friend, I want to share a little bit about him because men are in this fight too. And we're proud of them. Michael Bartel has worked as a pastor, college educator, and anti-human trafficking activist and practitioner, both in Southern Asia and in the United States. Mike and his wife, Denise, began their work with victims of human trafficking in 2004 as part of a Project Rescue, an international organization working to rescue and restore victims of human trafficking throughout Eurasia region. Seeing the overwhelming need in the US, y'all know, right? And sensing a growing desire of organizations and communities at large to do something about it, the Bartels returned to the US to start free international. And trust me, my friends, that really means what it says. Don't we love freedom? This is the country where it all started. The freedom of the United States, Michael. So, Happy you're here today and with us in the studio finally.
1: Yes, thrilled you... to be here. I've been looking forward to this.
0: I know. Can you handle all the coloring? <laughs>
1: the I don't want
0: to. I was like, hey, uh, man, being in the studio—it's a good thing. <laughs> there you go. You know,
1: I grew up. My I uh, have a young daughter. Well, she's not young anymore, but this looks very much like her she room probably did would when love she it, right? was growing up. <laughs> yeah, right, right at home here.
0: I designed it myself. Isn't it funny? <laughs> so I, I'm so happy you're here today because we were talking earlier about men being in the space of the anti-trafficking field. I mean, how does something like that even happen? Honestly, like someone just doesn't wake up one day and say, I'm mad right now. Although that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, it could Absolutely. happen. But what's your history? Like, first of all, we both are believers in Jesus. So That's right. can you tell me your backdrop? When did that start inside your heart to be a Christ follower? How did that happen?
1: Well, it really runs in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, both my wife and I, third-generation ministers. In fact, my, I, I come from a, a family where women were very strong. In fact, my grandmother planted 13 churches in the late part of the Great Depression and in wow. World War II, where? and uh, all over the US. So mostly Western part. But uh, yeah, I mean, when men were looking for work or going off to war, uh, her and her two sisters saw a real need and, and began to travel the country. Uh, pop up a tent. And that's incredible. All of them still exist. I've been able to speak in a few of them. And so uh, so my history is, you know, been tied with with strong women. I married a strong woman. She's third generation minister as well. So my faith journey started really early. It's all I've I've ever really known.
0: So you grew Uh, up like around maybe like revival and do you remember any of the first moments of realizing God is indeed real and Jesus is the son of God?
1: Yeah, I, re- I remember it's it's an interesting dynamic because when you grow up in a house that's full of faith, I'm a pastor's kid, um, you, know, you, know, you know what that is, but to have those moments where God really connects with you where you're at, I remember youth camps and different things like that were really just life-changing moments. Even though I was a follower of Christ, Um, really just sealed it in my heart uh, because he was real. I felt him. I knew him.
0: Did you ever feel like you're the oddball out at all or did you just kind of feel like this is like the natural evolution of my life?
1: I don't think I ever felt like the oddball, I, really, you know, always been pretty comfortable in whatever space I've been in, but, but the reality of not everyone is a believer, of course, was fine. But I learned a lot of that from my grandmother as well. You know, just that nature of being very present and loving those who are around you, no matter what that situation might be. I used to pick my grandmother's brain all the time on those stories because she planted churches in some really unique spots.
0: Did you see anything crazy happen as a young boy and a teenager? In-
1: crazy how? like miracles and- You know, I missed I missed the biggest miracle I was closest to. I was on a missions trip with my father uh, and we were actually, it was in the Philippines. And- uh, Oh, on, I've always wanted to go yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, it was a great trip. We were all over the South Pacific, but I, I remember uh, an event where uh, this lady came up and she had this huge goiter on her neck, just very large. She used to be a model, I guess, in that country. And then that goiter grew and her livelihood, all that went away. So she came up and asked uh, my dad to pray for her. And, uh, you know, just like like we're supposed to do, we raise. you close your eyes, you bow your head, right? And um, we prayed for, my dad said, I don't even remember what he said, but he prayed for that lady and her goiter. And when we opened her eye, our eyes, that goiter was completely gone. Oh
0: my gosh. Yeah, yeah it was
1: pretty cool. I wished I would have kept my eyes open for that moment. But yeah, it was uh, an amazing moment for, you know, at that time, I believe I was 16 or 17 and, you know, I already knew I was a follower of Christ and he was real in my life. But, you know, things like that, obviously just well, seal the deal.
0: Now, what part of the Philippines were you guys in?
1: We we're in Mindanao okay. and kind of all over different parts of, of uh, the Philippines. Well,
0: there's everywhere to minister there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a country that has a lot of need. That's for that's sure. That's so
0: awesome. Mm-hmm. So you learned at a young age, like there is indeed real. healing power. Mm-hmm. And did your faith you know was it a mustard seed faith that started like your belief where it it continued or did it did it was it just like full-on like i believe in jesus and because this is really interesting for me Mm -hmm. because i'm not i don't come from that type of background Mm -hmm. sure so even though i do have some of it on my dad's side Mm -hmm. um my dad's side there were ministers and pastors but how did that feel growing up just knowing what you knew like I, uh, it's just super interesting to me.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think it just took it for granted. And in fact, I remember kind of the moment in my life. You know, even at the end of, um, I was getting ready to leave the house. You know, it was graduation. My dad actually spoke at the baccalaureate back in the day. They'd have these kind of church services at the end for graduation. What's baccalaureate? It, that's baccalaureate is a church service. So oh, it's okay. like the day before. So this is ba- Christian language. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, I'm it's sorry. A, it's a it's a graduation <laughs> language is I what see. it is. And back in the day, they used to. Have like the day before graduation, you do a, a church service. It wasn't mandatory, but people could come. And my dad spoke for that. And uh, I remember he spoke on an unchanging God in an ever-changing world. Right. And I think for the first time, because I was just a stupid kid, you know, playing sports, um, all that fun stuff. And so the first, first time in my life, that kind of dawned on me all this stuff was going to change, right? All my right, friends, right. all this stuff. I wasn't, who knew when I was going to see him again, didn't know what social media was. You never know, if keep up, you know, in the future or not. And, uh, it was, it was kind of that moment. Um, I think I felt the most depth in my life spiritually, right? I had those moments where mm-hmm. God really, you know, uh, at a Bible camp, like I said, or in the Philippines, you know, um, hearing the stories from my grandmother really, really motivated me, but I, I don't know if my, I didn't feel like I had a stronger faith or I was more ambitious because of that. But at that moment I did, right? It was the first time I I recognized, um, man, not only is my God real, but he's unchanging. That's something I can always root myself in no matter what direction God moves me, you know, after graduation. Did you uh, like feel a calling?
0: Did you feel a direction in your heart or were you not? really understanding what that meant yet at yeah, that age.
1: Exactly that, I, I didn't know what that meant. I, I mean, I think, and a lot of that's it just developmental. Like it a language, like, yeah, yeah. what's a calling? <laughs> it, it, and when you grow up in a churched family like I had, I think in your head you just make assumptions. I'm gonna go this direction. I thought I was gonna be a teacher and a coach. Then I, you know, at college kind of had a call to ministry. It's like, I know what that is, that's what I wanna do. That you was what my purpose. People. That's what my purpose was. Yeah. And so uh, that's
0: a deep purpose, by the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it made sense. I mean, it made sense to me. And it was it was spiritual. Right. There was a real moment where I knew God had he didn't audibly speak to me, but where I sensed well, this is knew. where God was leading me. Yeah. yeah. When
0: I was a little girl, I remember I was about eight years old. I was going to a Lutheran Christian school mm-hmm. on Franklin Avenue, Minneapolis. And I, my teacher, Miss Barbara, she was singing on the guitar and I remember her at, talking about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand what it meant fully until she explained it. And I felt like this tug at my heart, like I think I'm supposed to help people
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: with something. Yeah. Like tell them about Jesus. Yeah, That's the first time I ever felt like a tug, mm-hmm. like a call, yeah. like come
1: with me. That's and, real. I mean, you knew it. And
0: so how, do, how can we describe that to people? Because that's, it's such a, a Christian word, but not Mm -hmm. because I noticed in some certain television shows, Mm -hmm. they're using that as
1: language. I hear it all the time. There's a
0: certain show Mm -hmm. called Manifest. Mm -hmm. Have you seen it? I haven't, no. And they use that word quite a bit. And they actually are Mm -hmm. using scripture in Mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. It's a secular show, but they reference God and Mm -hmm. calling. Did you get a calling? Yeah. And their calling in the TV show is when they get like a it's like a, I don't want to say psychic call, mm-hmm. but they get this telepathic type of vision. Mm. And all of a sudden they're like, I have to go to 172 uh, Washington oh, Avenue in, in in <laughs> Florida. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. what, what? Yeah, we got to get there. Gonna, what, mm. I, I have to get there now. There's something that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's what they're, they're considered a calling. Mm-hmm. But in our world, it's not... It could be that it's it could be
1: yeah, but right? it's more tied to i think purpose right, yeah. and i think when when people are good listeners or create time where they're you know everything around them isn't taking their attention we can hear, right? Um, whether that's, you know, with a walk with God or, or not to to be able to identify what our purpose is because everybody wants to have purpose, right? And right. so calling and purpose, I think, are, are pretty closely tied.
0: So then, so how did you and your lovely bride meet?
1: Um, we were counselors at a Bible camp.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: yeah. It How was a good summer. <laughs> well, we were actually both out of college. So, oh. Um,
0: so were you at 22, yeah, 20, uh,
1: 22, 23 mm-hmm. when we met. She's a year younger than me. And uh, yeah, went to be a counselor. Wow. and like,
0: that's amazing. We, you th- we think we know a lot at 22,
1: yeah, yeah. don't we? <laughs> oh, let me well, counsel you over your <laughs> down. <laughs> exactly right. Well, and, and uh, so I was playing basketball. Um, I saw her. She looked good. I wanted to show off for her. Yeah. And uh, so I went up to dunk the ball. And when I landed, I landed on a dude's foot and uh, didn't break it. But it took me out of the game, gave me all sorts of time to go sit next to her and get to know her and our relationship developed after that. Wow. A year and a half later, we were married. Is it like both of you first love? Um, or did you I, have don't think, other... I don't think I was her first love. Um, she was she was my first. I had uh, girlfriends, but yeah. never anyone I was. You
0: never really felt like drawn nah, like I'm going to marry this girl. Just wasn't
1: planning my life, right. you know, around those relationships. Uh, you know,
0: talk about that real shortly. Yeah. Um, I should say quickly. How does a man know when it's his love? Like mm-hmm. that's the woman I'm going to marry. Mm-hmm. Because I ask my husband this all the time, and he says, I can't explain it. And I'm like, well, tell me how you knew. He's like, I just knew I can't explain it.
1: Yeah. I'm, with, I'm with Oz, yeah. I mean, I didn't know. What I did know is she was very impressive. I mean, not just beautiful, but a lot of character, a lot of skills, somebody I'd want to hang out with no matter what. Yeah. And it, it just was easy for me to see myself Having somebody that impressive around me the rest of my life, I didn't think I, I didn't think she'd want to hang with me the rest of my life. But I knew she was, she was the type of person. I didn't have a type. Like I, it wasn't like I had a type. We see that with my son right now. He's had different girlfriends, oh, and all of them are so different from the other oh, ones. Wow. He's had. How old is your son? He's twenty-one now, okay. and um, he's young. he's got a girl <laughs> he's really madly in love with now. But oh. he never had a type, and I don't think I ever had a type either. I just, you know, finally landed on somebody who. Who had all the all the things anybody the would boxes. want? That's yep. what Oz I didn't, I didn't have a list, but if I had a list, she would have checked every. Yeah, Oz every made box. a list actually. Yeah, <laughs> Oz is a list maker. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm awesome. just like
0: really, honey. Mm. So, uh, and then both of you decided, hey, let's get married. Or did yeah. you ask her or?
1: Yeah, I asked her. I asked her dad first. We went traditional and and talked Which to the no family. Which no one does that anymore. Yeah. Well, my son's going to do that. Okay. <laughs> He's going to do that. But uh, but yeah, just talk to her folks. Uh, her folks and my folks actually knew each other. We just never knew each other. And so yeah, went the traditional route. We and where were you guys? What state? Montana. Montana. Yeah, that's where we got married. Oh, what part of Montana? Western Montana, Missoula. I've right never in been the Montana it's to Montana before. Beautiful. I heard it is. Yeah.
0: It's like God's country, they yeah. say. Yeah, it's, you got
1: to go up there. Tell Striper they need to do a gig up there. Yeah, well, someone just said days. that actually recently. <laughs> they were like,
0: are you coming to Montana? They're like, no. <laughs> uh, if someone asks us there you to, go. and there's enough people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But, so you guys got married, and then what happened next? You guys had
1: kids? Well, no, we, we waited on kids um, for a while, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got involved with ministry, started... Um, assistant pastor working with youth at a church in Indiana. And then uh, from there, we we really wanted to get involved in kind of campus type ministry. So we were brought on at Purdue University. I was a campus pastor there with my wife and then she ran the international center for uh, Purdue. So we had 142 countries represented then. Wow. Um, and she did all the orientations of mm-hmm. all the international students that would come through. And then ran the center, which was like the cultural hub for all the different um, all the different countries represented there. And so it was kind of in that dynamic that that God kind of moved our calling from what we thought we were going to be doing to what we're doing now, uh, interacting with our international students, and um, that's that's where we started that process. We ended up moving to New York city to pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, And then from there started doing full-time work um, with those who are being exploited through human trafficking.
0: So what was your first exposure to the understanding of trafficking and what it really meant? Yeah. And as opposed to Uh,
1: knowing about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another country and what it looks like. Mm -hmm. And then, United States, yeah. like, because some people are like, well, I don't understand. This is a free country. Yeah. How could trafficking happen in the United States?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, we've yeah. got a great country here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, our, our our diving into this was kind of progressive along the journey. Um, you know, we, we dug as much, when we first learned about trafficking, it was January of 95 with an African student. He was mm-hmm. gonna go back to his country, and that was one of the things he wanted to be able to do. He, he didn't come from any, any background, um, his family wasn't connected in any way. He was just so smart that his country sent him off to college. Oh, wow. So he had uh, nieces and nephews that had been trafficked in his country, nieces oh, as young gosh. as eight that had been sold into the brothels.
0: So, what part of the uh, country was he from?
1: Well, he was from West Africa. I okay. can't remember the name of the exact country, but well, I remember just yeah. hearing that and it just overwhelming me like, you gotta be kidding me. And so we dug as much as we could to find out about what was going on. But, you know, we grew up among farmers, ranchers, you know, kind of roll up your sleeves and kind of fix, solve problems kind of people. And we just got to a point where we knew we needed to kind of move from knowing about something to actually learning how to do something about it. So that, that took us to India. And I mean, those stories there are just heartbreaking for sure. Oh
0: my gosh, um, i
1: but always every time, wanted to go to India. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful <laughs> country, beautiful country um, with beautiful people. Um, but when we come back and tell those stories, people here are like, we wanna do something, right? We wanna get involved, what can we do? And that's when we began to go, okay, well, maybe that's, maybe that's what God's calling is for us to find ways to get people involved and actually do something right. here and so so when we came back we i won't say we had to relearn some things where but were you first um new york, well we moved from to india new to new york city okay yeah, and that's where we started free my wife and i started free out of new york city
0: so uh, did you go to africa or or india
1: india yeah okay yeah we started in 2003 um, going to india working with project rescue and great organization, uh, worked a lot with the nationals down there. They ran shelters basically primarily. And so, oh, okay, so mm-hmm. they were
0: running shelters there and mm-hmm. you got to see firsthand yeah. what that looked like on the street. So what did yeah. that look
1: like? Yeah, it was it, it, it wrecked us. I mean, I remember one night uh, we were in um, a red light district, uh, and, and
0: some people are like, what is
1: that? Yeah, red light. A demarcated space where, okay. where um, sex buyers would come and purchase sure. young ladies for...
0: Now, why do they call it red light? Well, are that, there red, are there literally red lights? Not in India.
1: Not in India. I never saw red lights. In Europe, That w- that's where a lot of it came from is is when you would go through like Amsterdam, whatever. Sure. Uh, if the red light the was window. on, it mm-hmm. meant they were for sale. Right. Right. So you looked for the red light. If what you were about the green light? Sale. Was
0: there a green light or a blue well, light? Or? I
1: think the red light was the green light. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that meant, hey, you know, here's... Why is
0: red signified with selling?
1: Yeah. I don't know.
0: Isn't that bizarre? Why was yeah. that color chosen? It
1: wasn't pink though, which is good. I know. Th- I no Thank pink, God. Yeah.
0: Right. But I mean, Why? what, what that, that's that got to be a question I'd like to get answered yeah, like where did where this come
1: from yeah where why red might be as simple as it it just wasn't white and so red was the most available you know when people go I'm not sure
0: so you but, went to India and yeah. you said you saw
1: yeah, what we saw, was happening we saw the worst of the worst I mean when we would go through the red light district you'd see um, even preteen girls out there for sale and it just you know and 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 the one night in particular that wrecked us we were going through uh this red light district uh, one of the nationals was driving us through and my son had just turned three he's a little toe-headed kid you know curly blonde hair and uh the girls would look in the car and see our son just bouncing mm-hmm. around and they would light up right yeah. the eyes would just be like oh we could it was awesome. like a little angel yeah yeah and um and you you'd see them turn their head and they would start yelling down the street cuz there's probably 14,000 uh girls in this area and uh
0: 14,000 mm, girls being sold mm-hmm,
1: down this one alleyway well it was a road but it was it was close like, like an alleyway super
0: concentrated area mm-hmm. of the city
1: yeah and it was raining so the umbrellas were out and so they had to lift their umbrellas for us to drive through this area and uh, they'd see my son and you'd see him light up and they'd yell down the road and then they'd turn back and they'd see me in the back or whatever. And you'd see that light in their eyes just go away, right? And and it was the first real emotional, overwhelming moment. My wife and I are pretty chatty people and we got done with that. It was about a 20 minute drive through that red light district. and. Um, yeah, we just, for every time we tried to open our mouth, it just broke, we broke down, right? So
0: you said their light left their eyes. Mm-hmm. Why did their light leave their eyes? It, did they think, like, I'm not assuming this, or mm-hmm. uh, please don't get offended when I ask you this. No, I did, they, did they think when they looked at you that you were gonna maybe try to
1: purchase them? I, I think I represented that, yeah. I mean, oh that's not gosh. what we were doing there, obviously. Of course obviously, not, but of course that, not. But that but a, a, change a, a of demeanor. A white man.
0: From yep. the United States, yep,
1: driving through the district,
0: and they think you're there to spend money
1: mm-hmm. yep, and yeah, wow. and there it, it it was really the first time in my life i I understood what the eyes or the window to the soul meant, right, because oh. here in the states we're so good at covering that up, right, yeah. the put your best face forward, all right. that you know those statements but but there you know it it was right on their face, you could see right into their soul and knew you know the pain after they had seen my son. So that's what, that's what got us all in. I mean, we were already all in, we moved to India, you know, but it was that moment we knew this was the calling God had, had placed on us. How
0: long were us. you in India for?
1: We were with that organization for four years. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, we weren't in India the whole time, we were in and out of India, but we lived in Bombay uh-huh. and then uh, in Southern Asia, but we had homes all over Southern Asia that we were working with.
0: Wow. Yeah. What a great experience!
1: It was. Yeah, I, it was. I
0: feel like you could make a movie from that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know, there has been movies made off some of the work that was being done with that organization. And uh, what movies could you
0: like that are familiar? That we, I'm we trying to remember know. the
1: name of the documentary. It won an Academy Award. Oh. Like, almost 20 years ago was
0: it about a girl that was mm-hmm. on a bike or something or
1: yeah in the dealt with the the definitely the girls in the red light district actually uh, some of the homes i think
0: i know uh, yeah
1: i'm spacing it too it <laughs> was a great it uh, won the academy was the producer, award was
0: he a new yorker
1: i believe so mm-hmm.
0: i know um yeah. i know what you're we talking about yeah. and i can't remember the name yeah. and i saw it I flew to yeah. New York and I went to a premiere of it yeah
1: some of the some of the kids in that movie actually or some of the girls in that movie, their kids were in some of the daycare centers that organization we worked with ran.
0: yeah, the way and that they so. filmed that it was so real. Mm-hmm. you could like smell and taste the the yeah. street
1: yeah yeah and,
0: and and the atmosphere yep. um, it yeah. really struck my heart because at that point in my life I I knew I was trafficked, but it wasn't like, a word that was being used back then because mm-hmm. oh my gosh it was all those years ago yeah, yeah. and i was like yeah, sitting in the audience watching it and i was bawling my eyes out mm-hmm. and i was like oh my gosh this is what's happened to us yeah so
1: you connected with the story i sure. totally
0: did yeah. and i i was so emotional um i remember watching years ago slumdog millionaire two yeah.
1: yeah different type well, that's of trafficking the movie. that's that's the movie that i was talking about i think that's the one I don't know. That is a great movie. (laughs) That's a great example
0: of labor and child trafficking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's that will break your heart if you watch it. I mean, anyone who gets a chance, please listen, Michael, We're running out of time. So why don't we share? Because let's do part two. I want to hear about everything you do (laughs) and what happened in India and after. Can you share with everyone your organization and how people
1: can reach you? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I started Free International back in 2007. We have uh, people all over the country now that are part of that. And in free is our acronym, it stands for Find, Restore, Embrace, and Empower. And uh, they can find us at freeinternational.org or anywhere on social media. And uh, we're doing work all over the country. So if people wanna get involved, it'll be easy for them to jump in.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing today, Michael. And uh don't worry because we're gonna come back and finish your story. Everyone, thank you so thank much. You. Please join us next week and listen to Michael's story because if you are a man or a couple or just anyone that wants to get involved and wants to learn more about why he became so passionate, him and his wife, you need to see next week's episode. So, stay tuned and thank you so much for joining us on Annie's Pink Chair. Bye. Hi, friends. It's Annie Lobert from Annie's Pink Chair, and I am actually on location at our nonprofit ministry called the Destiny House. And do you feel and see the presence that's going on here, the peace? the calmness, the comfort, the beautiful grass, the trees. This is what each woman comes to when she enters our Destiny House program for sex trafficking victims. Would you please consider partnering with us monthly or just send us a one-time donation? Just go to our website at hookersforjesus.net and click on Donate. And listen, your donation goes to a good cause and it's tax deductible. Thank you so much. Hi friends. Let me read you part of my book about my story, becoming a trafficking victim in Las Vegas. The Skyway Lounge in downtown Minneapolis was a happening strip joint. Slick businessmen in fancy suits strolled in for lunch and after work. Ties loosened, money rolling, the tips were great, the best in the area, and dancers lined up to work at this place. I was lucky to be a regular. One Saturday night, I was dancing to Prince's Kiss. Giving some special customers a little extra glimpse of skin when in walked a man who caught my attention. The bright lights illuminating the catwalk stage couldn't distract me from how gorgeous he was. A cross between young Billy D. Williams and Denzel Washington. He wore a gray tweed suit and pointy loafers. He walked confidently, light and smooth. His jerry curl pulled back in a sleek ponytail. My friends, this is my book, Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior. And this is the story of me being turned into a sex trafficking slave in Minneapolis, Hawaii, and Las Vegas, my final destination. This teaches you about trafficking and how it can happen in your own backyard. You think it can't happen to you? Think it can't happen to your girlfriend or your child, your granddaughter, your niece, even your nephew? It can, my friends. If you're interested in this, it's going to help you learn about this, but it's also going to give you a call to the charge. You can simply go to pinkchair.org, click on the book to purchase it. You can help us help others get out of trafficking. Thank you so much. (music)